Hello, thank you for joining me on Humanities Radio. I'm Janet Cunningham with the University of Utah College of Humanities, and this season I'm in discussion with professors across our college about their latest book publications. I'm with Danielle Endries, Professor of Communication, about her book, Nuclear Decolonization, Indigenous Resistance to High-Level Nuclear Waste Siting. The book explores how indigenous populations have been affected by global nuclear production and how they have successfully resisted the projects. So just before we kind of initially get into this conversation, can you provide an an introduction to your book and kind of what motivated you to explore this topic? Yeah, sure. The book looks at nuclear decolonization, which is a theory and a set of practices that were created by indigenous people, in this case, Western Shoshone, Southern Paiute, and Skull Valley Goshute people, to resist the nuclear production process, in particular to resist nuclear waste sites that were proposed for their lands. And in the book, I identify two key strategies or key tactics that are used by these activists to defend their lands. And the first is indigenous land rhetorics, which focuses on how Western Shoshone, Southern Paiute, and Skull Valley Goshute articulate the value of their land Mm -hmm. and the way that nuclear waste would impact that. And the second is national interest rhetorics, which looks at the ways that uh, these nations are nations. Mm -hmm. And it and, and evaluates what's in their interest versus the interest of the United States federal government. Okay. And why are indigenous populations being targeted by nuclear production? Yeah. So there's a longstanding um, convergence of a couple of systems of power. The first is nuclearism, okay. which is the way that uh, in the U.S. and, and globally, that justifications are made towards producing nuclear technologies like nuclear weapons and nuclear powers. And that system really articulates that that nuclear technologies are always in the best interest of populations. Right. And then the second one is settler colonialism, which is a system of power that marginalizes um, indigenous populations mm-hmm. and sees indigenous populations as lesser than, less civilized than, less... Um, less worthy of protection than, uh, than than the U.S. federal government. So those two kind of converge. And then uh, Native American nations and communities have been disproportionately targeted mm-hmm. for uranium mining, nuclear production of weapons, nuclear testing, and nuclear waste siting. And there's a lot of reasons for that, but they really stem back to these mm-hmm. two systems of power okay. that are converging. Okay. And then how... How do these nuclear development projects affect kind of the natural resources on the tribal lands, ecological balance, and how have tribal communities responded to this? Yeah, that's a great question. So one of the things that I look at with nuclear decolonization, even though I'm focused on nuclear waste Mm -hmm. sites, is the entire cradle-to-grave cycle of nuclear production. And what we know from uranium mining and nuclear testing is that when radiation is brought to the ecology Mm -hmm. surrounding the place where you're Mm -hmm. gathering the uranium or where you're testing the bombs or, or creating the creating the nuclear facilities, that there's impacts to the ecology. So radiation can change plant life, it can Mm -hmm. change water, um, and radiation is dangerous to humans and ecologies. Um, With nuclear waste siting, the waste wasn't brought there yet, but the communities were anticipating based on 
research and also this knowledge of past impacts to uh, tribes that had had uranium mining, nuclear testing. And so they were very worried about their water being impacted by holding nuclear waste on their lands. Mm -hmm. The uh, flora, the fauna, and basically all of the, the kind of more than human beings that are part of this ecology. And how does nuclear development influence the well-being and cultural identity of tribal communities? And what are those potential long-term effects? Yes. Um, Yeah. So that one is really fascinating to hear from the indigenous peoples themselves. And Mm -hmm. so the first person that I think of when um, hearing that question is Marjean Bullcreek, who is a Skull Valley Go Shoot member and was a strong... um, a strong advocate for not bringing a new nuclear waste site to the Skull Valley Go Shoot Reservation. Okay. And she would say, I engaged with her many times. I interviewed her. I read many documents where she testified about this. And she would say over and over again that it would change her ability to be who she was, that this mm-hmm. had such a profound impact on the identity of Native Americans. Mm-hmm. And that stems back to the fact that cultural practices, spiritual practices mean that Native American communities are often in actual relationship with the mountains, with Mm -hmm. the flora and the fauna. Mm -hmm. And so the very idea of bringing nuclear waste to this and those ecological impacts would cause them not to be able to have the kind of spiritual relationship that they were used to having. And so that's the big impact is bringing... Um, bringing a pollutant that not only Mm -hmm. pollutes the people in the environment, but also essentially pollutes their ability to be who they are as Native Americans. Right. Wow. So what are some of these ongoing discussions or collaborations regarding nuclear development, specifically within um, Western Shoshone and Southern Paiute territories? And how are these communities participating in changing the trajectory of these projects. Yeah. And so this is what's so exciting Mm -hmm. and wonderful about the book, I think, Mm -hmm. from my opinion, or or wonderful about um, the research that I was able to do, because the book really amplifies and promotes the tactics that Western Shoshone and Southern Paiuta, as well as Skull Valley Goshu, used to be involved, to assert their right to be involved Mm -hmm. in conversations about nuclear development on their lands, and um, to actively resist those developments. And so even though the two nuclear waste sites that I studied in the book Mm -hmm. have not happened, the Yucca Mountain site and the site at the Skull Valley Goshute Reservation, there are ongoing struggles Mm -hmm. over new uranium mining. I just read in the newspaper Mm -hmm. over the weekend, a new uranium mine that's potentially going to be near Grand Canyon. So it's not Western Shoshone, but another Mm -hmm. Native community that that is um, addressing this. And so Mm -hmm. the book really amplifies and highlights that indigenous tactics of resistance and land protection can be successful Mm -hmm. and and can be used by Native communities to protect their lands. And so how often has it been unsuccessful? Like how much of these projects are happening on Native lands? How many of these projects, I should say, are happening on these Native lands? A lot. (laughs) I don't know the specific numbers. Mm -hmm. And so 
there is a long history of uh, uranium mining, as I said before, um, nuclear testing. So okay. the testing of nuclear weapons was on Western Shoshone and Southern Paiute land, um, even various parts of the nuclear production process. So like mm -hmm. the place where plutonium pits were made to be mm -hmm. put into nuclear weapons. And so nuclear colonialism is a, is a theory that okay. is used to describe how frequently and how disproportionately mm. Native communities are um, faced with the, mm -hmm. the, the impacts of the nuclear production process. So I would say mm -hmm. that there are successes, right. and it's so exciting to be able to right. talk about the successes in this book, mm -hmm. but we're the, the struggle is not over. Yeah. And so even as the book is coming out, there are communities that are resisting other forms of nuclear technologies so it seems like, well, I guess you tell me, are there different laws about um, having nuclear waste projects on protected lands than non-protected lands? It seems like there would be laws against or at least different laws. It's complicated. <laughs> of course. <laughs> of course. <laughs> yeah. So um, sometimes we're dealing with lands that are reservation lands. And so okay. those are set aside lands that are that are. Um, under the purview of the Native nation that's mm -hmm. that's in question, and that was the case for the Skull Valley Goshute Reservation. Sometimes these are lands that are actually owned by the federal government, but are traditional homelands of mm -hmm. indigenous peoples like the Western Shoshone and the Southern Paiute. And so in the case where it's on a reservation, then um, there are laws that the tribal government can enact that okay. would relate to nuclear production, nuclear waste siting. In the case where it's on traditional homelands, then we're looking at things like NAGPRA, which is a law that looks at repatriation of graves. So if graves or, or materials were found mm -hmm. on site, then those would okay. have to be returned. Okay. Um, so it really depends on where, what location, and then what, but those are all federal laws that right. would get triggered okay. if this is happening on federal land. Okay. And so what are the main messages that you hope readers will take away from this book? That resistance can be successful. Mm -hmm. um, when I started this project over 20 years ago, I thought both of these sites would happen and get oh, wow. cited on native lands. And the realization that they didn't and that that was in large part due to native um, activists and advocates and protectors. Mm -hmm. So that's a huge message. And I think it's a message, whether you're interested in Native American activism or not, right. but just that idea that resistance does work right. and that um, that we can feel hopeful mm -hmm. about the power of, um, of social movements. And I think a second takeaway would be to really amplify the perspectives and voices of Western Shoshone, Southern Paiute, and Skull mm -hmm. Valley Goshute and broader indigenous peoples as peoples that build their own theories, they build their own social movements, mm -hmm. they have brilliant tactics that they use right. to um, assert their sovereignty and mm -hmm. assert their protection of the land. Mm -hmm. Do you have any specific examples of what um, people have done, activists have done, to really go out there and protect their lands? Do you give any specific examples in the book? Yes, okay. definitely. Yeah, there's quite a few examples. And so um, one of the examples is embodied protests. Okay. And so there are moments where 
um, Native nations are um, blocked or not welcome to be participants in a regular decision-making process, like a public hearing. And so then those folks have taken up strategies of bringing their bodies to a place and making through their bodies and and the the words that they say and the the protest actions that they that they do to really send that message broadly to mm-hmm. decision makers but also to audiences who are watching through the media right. to um really explain why this is important and explain mm-hmm. why um why it's important to stop nuclear waste siting on their lands i think a lot of people don't know that mm-hmm. um, these two sites or many of our sites of nuclear production are in relationship with Native American right. lands. So those um, active moments of protest and resistance mm-hmm. are really important. And so when someone when someone has read the book and they kind of see all, all of this going on, what can they do as someone who doesn't live on a, a Native land? How can they support this initiative or they can support um, people in protecting their lands? Yeah, that is a great question. So the first thing is just keep learning and learn Mm -hmm. more about it. Um, Once you dive in, you can really see that there's so much information and there's so many active Mm -hmm. struggles that are ongoing. The second thing that I think is really important is that you can support those organizations. In Mm -hmm. some cases, that might mean... um, driving a few miles away and and engaging in an action. Um, It could mean contacting state or federal legislators. Mm -hmm. It could mean supporting through monetary donations. So there's a lot of ways to get involved. And then the third thing I think is really important is just talking about it. Mm -hmm. And that can be at a coffee shop with your loved ones, if you're a teacher with your classrooms, and, Mm -hmm. um, and just talking about this and raising awareness about it, because then that Mm -hmm. allows more and more audiences to know. Yeah, because I would say, in kind of researching and exploring this book, I was not aware. And so it was really eye opening to me. And so yeah, I, I would agree with the education and just the awareness is a good place to start. Exactly. Yeah. And that's very typical. We right. don't learn a lot about Native, uh, especially contemporary Native mm-hmm. um, cultural resistance or cultural practices. Mm-hmm. Um, in K-12, we might learn some history, but we, yeah, our yeah. education system is not not at the place yet not, where not <laughs> most people come out with mm-hmm. a good understanding of these issues. And you, have, you said that some of these projects have been going on for years and years. So do you see, I mean... I don't know if through your research have you if you've seen like burnout from the activists or if that's kind of a strategy is to kind of wear them down because I mean if I mean twenty years seems like a long time to tr- to try and fight something. Absolutely, there's huge burnout among these communities and uh, not just among the activists but even among the government officials of mm-hmm. of these native nations wow. and. Yeah, I think that it has required a lot of vigilance and a lot of hard work to stay Mm -hmm. focused on this and then to educate new generations um, to come up. Uh, Many of the people that I worked with in this book were elders, and Mm -hmm. part of their work was also educating within their community to build up new generations of people that would speak out about this. Wow. So what recommendations or policy changes would you suggest to address the concerns and rights of indigenous nations? 
Yeah. So the very first thing is government to government interactions. So one of the big failures, I would say, of these two waste proposals is that, and, and especially the Yucca Mountain proposal, was that there weren't negotiations with the Western Shoshone and Southern Paiute fully acknowledging their government status and their sovereignty. Mm -hmm. And so oftentimes they had to participate in public comments, but those were designed for members of the U.S. public, not for members of the Western Shoshone Mm -hmm. nation. So government to government is an absolute must. The second one is free prior and informed consent. And this is a term that's coming up in a lot of um, native and indigenous uh, land protector movements. And it basically says, those are the conditions that are important for a native nation to be able to make a decision about whether or not they want to host Mm -hmm. a nuclear waste site or a uranium mine. And the problem in the past has been that there are so many constraints on native nations that the ability to make a free choice about whether to host these facilities or Mm -hmm. whether to be involved in nuclear production was not available. And so um, starting that consultation very early on and giving Native nations Mm -hmm. the ability to um, have a voice as a government and then the ability to um, be in constant negotiation Mm -hmm. about a nuclear proposal. So for my last question, the question I ask everyone on the podcast is, what does the world know now because of your research, because of your book that they didn't know before? Yes, I think that they know the theories that have been built up by Western Shoshone, mm-hmm. Southern Paiute, and Skull Valley Goshute people to pursue nuclear decolonization. Wow. So there's mm-hmm. been a lot of research in the past, my own included, on nuclear colonization. Mm-hmm. So really focusing on the ways that Native American communities have been oppressed or marginalized or negatively impacted by the nuclear production process. But mm-hmm. this book flips that to say there's an amazing wealth of theories and strategies and tactics mm-hmm. that are coming from Western Shoshone, Southern Paiute, and Skull Valley Goshute and broader indigenous mm-hmm. communities that can give us visions for better ways of living in this world. That was Danielle Endries, Professor of Communication. For more information about the University of Utah College of Humanities, please visit humanities.utah.edu and don't forget to subscribe to Humanities Radio.